How's everybody doing this morning? You feeling good? Good, good. I, I, I hope nobody had any issues getting home from church last weekend. That was crazy, wasn't it? Good grief, man. 12 inches of snow here in Newark uh, in spots. Um, boy, our trailer made it back safe, and we're thankful for that. Where, is Lynn in here? Is he here today? Did he make it? He's here somewhere. Good. So y'all high-five him because he pulled that trailer through the snow and got it back safely last weekend. So there he is. I see him back there with the Italian strut going on in the back. So y'all, y'all make sure you high-five him today on your way out. Don't hug him. You don't like hugs. And, um, but just thank him for getting the trailer back and getting himself home safely last weekend. And I, I was, it, was, it was a little crazy, man. I mean, I got to go rescue Joel. I don't know where Joel is. He got stuck in his truck and had to go help him get freed up. And then as I was coming out of his neighborhood, another guy spun out right in front of me. So I got to get out and push. It's a great time to hand out acts of kindness cards in a snowstorm. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, help that guy get out. And I saw like three accidents. I didn't get home till like two o'clock last Sunday. It was just wild accidents everywhere. So we're glad everybody was safe and that you made it. Can I just tell you, I love being your pastor. It is ridiculously fun getting to pastor this church. You all owe yourselves a hand for being such an awesome group of people, body of Christ. Let me tell you why. Check this out. I got this message this morning. I got this message on my phone this morning through our church Facebook page. I'm going to try to read this without breaking up here. This morning I went to Dunkin' Donuts to get a quick coffee and donut for my daughter. When I got to the window and tried to pay for my order, I was told the man in front of me already paid for me. I quickly looked around to see if I could thank him, and he was already gone. She then gave me the coffee and donut and a card. As I drove off, I looked at the card, and it said, Something extra to show you that God loves you. I cried on the drive home and still have tears in my eyes as I write this. I needed the reminder, really needed it. I'm so used to telling everyone else God loves them, I forgot he loves me too. Not even to mention the stress that studying for final exams brings Thank you so much. God loves you too. How, isn't that awesome, you guys? Isn't that crazy? On a Sunday morning, somebody, somebody gets reminded that Jesus loves them all through one of these right here. And this is why we've been telling you this stuff works. Who cares if they ever show up in a service at our church? We're just trying to grow the kingdom. We're trying to tell as many people about Jesus as we possibly can. And we can be generous in this time of year. And uh, people are feeling the stress. They're feeling the weight of the holidays because of what our culture has turned it into. And we're just trying to push back a little bit. As much best $75 we could spend on a 1,000 of these cards. I had another message from somebody this week in our church who said, I'm having so much fun with these cards just got done shoveling the snow out of my neighbor's driveway and sidewalk, hoping it doesn't melt so fast that they wonder what the card is for in their door. <laughs> and uh, man, just awesome. Love hearing about that sort of thing. So good job, everybody. Good job, True Life. Way to share the love of Jesus. Come on, isn't that exciting stuff this morning? You're making a difference reaching people. You're making a difference this morning. I see tons of bags of food back there as a part of our season of hope food drive, and uh, so people are going to have some food to eat during the winter and the holidays, and uh, I'm actually handing off some coats today that I was able to save and pull back from our coat drive for people who, who are actually attending our church on a regular basis and needed some help, love being able to say yes to opportunities to help people, and uh, what an awesome, awesome thing to be a part of. Just want to remind you tonight at 6.30, where's all the life team at? We got any life team in the house this morning? So what is the life team? If you volunteered or served in any way here, even if you've just done it once or twice um, and you're new to the team, we want you there tonight. We are pulling out all the stops to celebrate you. Listen, without you, there is no True Life Church. There just isn't. There's no lights. There's no stage. There's no sound system. There's no kids area that's set up. There's no nursery there's none of it without you. There's no small group leaders. There's no worship team. None of it happens unless people move through the process that we believe in very strongly here of finding their gift, finding the area where they can serve the kingdom at a high level and help us grow this thing together. And, uh, and so we are going to honor you tonight. We're going to celebrate you the best way we know how. And, uh, and listen, we're just going to keep getting better at it. We want to be the best party-throwing church in the city. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we just want to be able to party like nobody else. And, uh, and so we're going to go for it tonight. It's going to be fun. 6.30 at the George Wilson Center. If you don't know about it and you serve, we want you there 
a pajama party for your kids. They're going to have their own room, watching some Christmas movies, eating pizza, hanging out in their pajamas. It's going to be fun, fun, fun for them. And uh, I'm not going there this time. I'm not doing it, Liz. All right. And, <laughs> but I knew it was you. I, could, I recognize that sneeze anywhere. All right. So, hey, just a couple of things that I want you to be aware of before I jump into the message today. And I have a really, just kind of a heavy burden for what I'm going to share with you today. I think it's um, really, really important, and the Holy Spirit's going to do some life-changing stuff in the hearts of some people. Um, but I just kind of want to get you ready for where we're headed in the next couple of months, and with the new year coming, new year's a good time to, to kind of just remind ourselves why we're here, and why our church exists, and what the vision is, and so I'm actually going to begin that process on December 29th. I know that's a, it's a weird Sunday. It's going to be right between Christmas and New Year's. And so our, our thinking is that there and for the next few weeks, it's really going to be some of the core of the church. A lot of students are going to be away, so we'll, we'll miss you guys on winter break. But, but a lot of the core of our church who serves and gives will be the ones who show up to church on those Sundays. It's typically lower attendance during that time of year for us. And I'm just going to use that time. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to be here. Um, if you've already got travel plans, all that kind of stuff, there's no guilt, there's no shame, but I really want you to be here. If it matters to you what this church likes, looks like by the end of next year and in the next five to ten years, it's going to be important that you hang around and get to hear it. I'm going to share some of the vision, refresh some of why we do what we do starting December 29th, and I'm going to spend several weeks on that and how we're to be a church that, that uh, leads in our community and speaks with authority for the kingdom of heaven and uh, reaches lost people, and I'm excited about it, I'm fired up about it, and that's going to take us right up into one of the most important things that we do at True Life as a church family, and that is uh, from, from the middle of January to the very beginning of February, we'll be taking part in uh, what we call our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in the message, but I just want you to be kind of be thinking about it. I call the whole church to a season of prayer and fasting Together, we'll be meeting together in the mornings to pray for those of you who are able and available, and, uh, and we'll be calling each and every person to participate in fasting at some level. Fasting's kind of one of those Christian curse words that nobody likes to talk about, but, but Jesus, uh, Jesus talked about it just about as often as he talked about prayer. And so we love to pray, and we like to talk about prayer, uh, but we, we oftentimes leave fasting out, and it's absolutely important to accomplishing the will of God. So we're going to talk about that and, and kind of get ready for it, all right? So as we get into the message today, you've got notes to fill in blanks that, that were handed to you at the front. You can use the paper ones, or you can go to the Bible app, version on your phone, and, and uh, go to version Live, look for the live event. You can follow along on your phone this morning. I think it's going to be really important that some of us take notes today. And we're going to conclude this three-week series called Financial Peace on earth. And I know that the whole idea of talking about money and finances during this time of year at first might seem a little odd, might seem a little strange, but the reason I did that is I really feel strongly that this time of year is a season where a lot of people feel some pain. I think we feel pain all year long, but especially in that area during this time of year, that pain gets elevated and we recognize it more. We feel it more. The pressure to buy the biggest gifts and spend the most money and, and, uh, and wow the people that we're giving to. And it's really not what Christmas was supposed to be all about. And so we just wanted, to, I wanted to have a series where we could speak to that felt need or that pain. Some of you are saying, I don't really feel the pain right now. I'm okay. But You'll feel the pain in January or February when the credit card bills start coming for what you did in December to get ready for Christmas. So we just want to speak to that, kind of try to help you. you we can't lead you through recovery in three weeks because re- recovery is a process. It takes time. But we can find peace. We can get our hearts set in the right direction to find peace, and that can happen right now. In fact, that's where we started in week one. We talked about the importance of getting our hearts set on the right things. We talked about getting our hearts set on giving, not getting. We talked about giving, getting our hearts set on true riches, which is investing in people. We talked about getting our hearts set on eternity and thinking about heaven. Last week, we talked about the, the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, that Jesus Christ is the Lord of, or the general of, or the one in charge of peace. And if we want to have peace in any of our lives, and especially finances, then there are some, he has some principles that if we if we follow those, we get ourselves in a, the best position possible for peace. We talked even a little bit about tithing last week and giving a tenth of our first fruits back to God. And, and I'm not going to go there again today, so you don't have to worry. You don't have to get up tight. But, uh, but it is important. We talked about the national average in, in churches 
for tithing is about 4%. About 4% of people give regularly. Can I tell you that the house of God, the local church, can't accomplish, accomplish the mission of God on 4%. We can't do it. Now, I, I want to commend you, True Life. We're better than that. Our percentages are higher than that. But we've got room to grow, too. We've got room to get better. And it's just as simple as this. This is God's economy. We can't do the things that God has called us to do as a church unless we have the finances and the resources to do it. None of this stuff is, we have a light that was flickering and going crazy this morning. It won't shut off when the rest of them shut off. Guess what? If we want to go get a new one, it ain't free. How do we pay for that? You give. That's the economy that God has set up. That's how the local church is established and how we pay the bills. And so I'm really thankful for those of you. We have some people who just give like crazy. We have some of the most generous people I have ever seen in my life. And we talked about how God just says, hey, try it. In fact, we said if you'll tithe for a, a whole year and you get to the end of that year and you feel like God didn't come through for you and you're not living a more blessed life than you were when you started, we'll refund you what you tithed for that year. How could you do that, Michael? Is that a gimmick? No, I'm just extremely confident in the instructions of God. And I believe when he says something, he means it. And, uh, and, and I, I fully expect that there will be absolutely no one that I have to give money back to because I trust God. That's how much faith I have in him. Uh, but if you do, if you get to that end of that year, and then we'll, we'll give it back to you, no problem. But try it. God says, try it, test me in this. So today we're going to conclude speaking to this area of pain, and I'm actually going to broaden it out quite a bit. This isn't just going to apply to finances. I want to talk about how to have peace no matter what, no matter what. And uh, it's, it's going to be an important message, I think, for us today. The problem, we're living in a materialistic instant gratification culture. It leads us to make decisions that aren't healthy. As a nation, we're making decisions that when you do the math, they just don't work. We've talked about the average American household is, at, is spending 136% of their income. That math doesn't work. Um, our nation is spending more than its income. We're borrowing about $4 billion a day just to maintain status quo. And so here's, here's the question for for today, when, I, when we look at those statistics and we look at those numbers, I, ha, I can't help but think that at some point that, that can't be sustainable. I know we just kind of came out of a recession. I don't, I don't know if I buy it that we're completely out of it, that we're actually in a recovery. I, I don't know. Um, I think it's, it's kind of iffy. Some areas are recovering, others not so much. But kind of the premise, and I want to be clear, I'm not I'm not trying to be prophetic today. I'm not telling you that I foresee anything coming in our future. I'm just saying, what if, what if, like back during the Great Depression, what if the wheels come off? Like, what if tomorrow the economy were to absolutely tank and crash? What should the response of God's people be in times of great stress, in times of great calamity, not even in finances in any area? When tragedy strikes in our life, you know, I'm coming up on one year from my stepdad passing away. And that, that created a lot of stress and a lot of calamity in our family. It created some new, boy, you want to you wanna try to figure out what the Bible means when it says honor your father and your mother? It gets, it gets, um, it gets really real when now you have a, a widowed parent that, that you are, have to care for and you feel some responsibility for. It changes, it changes things. So how do the people of God respond when things are going poorly? And one of my jobs as a pastor is to help you prepare for what might happen. Like I said, I'm not trying to be prophetic. I'm not saying it's imminent. Uh, but I am saying that if our nation were to continue to make some of the decisions that we're making today, um, it's reasonable to think that a season of deep pain could happen. It could happen, and I just think we all need to be aware that the possibility exists. And we, in America, we suffer from the that'll never happen to me syndrome. And, and every day, tragedy strikes people who think that'll never happen to me. So the Bible gives us clear instruction on what we should do and how to respond if that day comes. And today is going to apply to all of that, much more than just money. And I want to look at, um, uh, I'm going to teach a little bit differently than I normally do today. A lot of times I, I love to preach on topics, uh, and so I'll sit and study the Bible for different verses that apply to a singular topic. That's one preaching style. 
there's kind of two competing preaching styles. One is to be topical. The other is to, um, to do what we're going to do today. And that is to kind of go through verse by verse and, and look at some instruction around a specific topic. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at an epistle. If you don't know what an epistle is, that is a letter written by an apostle that became a part of the New Testament. And so we're going to look at one of the epistles written by Paul. This is Paul the Apostle writing a letter to the church at Philippi. In your Bible, it's the book of Philippians. Let me just give you some background on the book of Philippians. It's written while Paul is having a horrible season of his life. Like, I, have you ever had a day that just started bad? Just like, you, you just thought, oh, here we go. It just started. I had that this morning. I was shaving and like shaved off half my face. Um, oh my gosh, it hurt. And I have like one of those razors that it's not supposed to be difficult, but I'm one of those people that thinks this shouldn't be difficult sometimes have a way of becoming difficult. So I'm missing half my chin now. Doesn't feel really good. But, you you know, even as that happened this morning, I thought, oh, no, please don't let this be a sign. This is one of those days. And then immediately it was like I just remembered I'm talking about the stuff Paul went through. Like this is nothing, nothing compared to what Paul had to deal with. So he, he writes the book of Philippians actually while he's in prison Chained to the guard, whose, whose job is to watch him and keep him in prison until it's time for his execution. So Paul's on death row, chained to a guard. You had to like do crazy stuff with the apostles because they were like, you know, having worship services in the middle of the night, earthquakes, the prison opens, they walk out, they go free. So they're like, they're, you cha- they tell this guy, hey, you get chained to, you don't let Paul out of your sight. I mean, no, it's a bad day when you're chained to the guy whose job is to make sure you don't get away until they kill you. It's a bad day. And the whole, one whole chapter in the book of Philippians, Paul lists all of his bad days while, while being an apostle, while serving the cause of Christ. It's crazy stuff. Like, like you remember Jesus, uh, before the crucifixion, he got the 39 lashes. He was whipped and, and tortured and beaten. Paul went through that process of getting 39 lashes five times, five times, and he writes about it. He, he writes about getting, <laughs> you talk about a horrible 24 hours. He writes about getting shipwrecked in a storm. The whole ship breaks up into pieces, and he says he spends a whole night and a whole day at sea. I don't know, I guess he's just like bobbing up and down out there. <laughs> a whole night and a whole day at sea, he finally finds some land that he can swim to, crawls up on the beach, pulls together some driftwood, tries to build a fire. When he starts the fire, a snake comes out of the wood and bites him. How Shipwreck, <laughs> swimming, beach, fire, snake. I mean, how bad? You think you've had a bad day. He got, back then they would beat you with rods, thin strips of wood. Multiple times he got beat with rods because of preaching the gospel of Christ. Paul got stoned, and I don't mean like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean like they drug him out of the city and threw rocks at him in an attempt to kill him. Why? Because he preached Christ. Paul If anybody in the Bible knew about having a bad day, if anybody in the Bible knew about calamity and trouble and stress, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet, somehow in his writings, I'm blown away by the attitude of Paul because he always seems to have this inexplicable, unexplainable joy and peace no matter what. I mean, I don't know how, hey, Paul, dude, you still got a piece of rock sticking out of the side of your face. Paul's like, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't understand, I, I really, I don't understand it. It's got to be a supernatural thing that, that happened in him to be able to withstand all of the trouble and still have this joy and this peace. Come on, how many want to know how to have peace through the storm? Anybody? Wouldn't it be great if you knew when the, when the waves are kicking up and you're bobbing around in the ocean? <laughs> If you could figure out how to have some peace. And Paul responds in his letter 
He's, he's on his way to Rome. And just so you know, this is like in his ministry career, this is his lifelong dream to be able to go to Rome and be a missionary there and have a crusade and preach about Jesus. So he's finally there. He's finally, anybody ever felt like, this is finally, I'm finally gonna get to do the thing I dreamed about. And on his way to Rome, he gets arrested and put on death row. So you would just think, man, if there's ever a time when Paul's going to get depressed, this is it. And, and because he's such a leader of so many churches, now the believers are writing him letters in prison. And they're saying, Paul, it's really bad. You're in prison. It's bad out here. What do we do? Paul, what do we do? You're in prison. And Paul responds with how we as believers should respond when things start to, start to fall apart. And he starts with this prayer, and this is my prayer for you as a church today. It's in Philippians chapter one, verse nine through 11. And Paul says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that, and we could preach a whole series on the importance of the word so that when Paul uses them in scripture, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This guy is in the worst situation possible, chained to a guard writing the letter. Everybody on the outside thinks that it's over, that the, the gospel won't be preached, that Paul has been, the, the enemy's won, he's been derailed from his mission. And what is Paul's response? That your love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern, which tells me that maybe they weren't discerning the situation correctly. And I, I think as believers, we're guilty of that. We oftentimes, in fact, I think we've discerned the times we live in incorrectly oftentimes. And we've responded incorrectly to what happens around us. And I'm gonna gonna talk you through that here in a second. And after this prayer, Paul gives us the action plan. And I believe he gives us an action plan on how every believer should respond to any calamity in our lives, even financial ones. Are you ready? You want the plan? LeVar wants the plan. Come on, do you want the plan? All right, here we go. So here we go. Here's Here's the first one. Paul says, we need to have the right perspective. We need to have the right perspective. See, I think it's very easy when things are going badly for our perspective to to end up wrong. And he's saying, you've got to look at trouble the right way. You've got to look at trouble through the lens of eternity. You've got to look at trouble through the lens of God actually being in control of all of it. Look what he says in Philippians 1.12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, you all think it's bad, you think everything's terrible, that everything's falling apart. He says, what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Hey, church, can I just tell you something, man? Whatever you're facing right now, and I know some people in our church are facing some serious stuff, just from conversations I've had this week and even this morning. Like some people have legitimate reason to be fearful for their health and their future because of what doctors and and tests are are maybe going to tell them. And Paul says, hey, when things don't look right, you've got to keep the right perspective that somehow Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, can take that thing that looks like it's a mess and use it to advance the the gospel. Use it to advance the kingdom. What it, Paul is saying is it's, it's helping advance the gospel. What you thought was going to shut down the gospel is actually going to make the gospel grow. And when something bad happens, I think where we get our perspective messed up is we tend to say, why? God, why? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. Why? God, God and I, 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 just to be honest with you, a year ago at this time, there was a temptation. I would, it just didn't feel right. For my mom to have to be alone in this season of her, they're not that old. They're, they're, it just, it, and there was a temptation to say, God, why? And then when we ask why, the anger starts to build and the frustration starts to build. And I just want to submit to you today that 
oftentimes why is the wrong question. It's the natural response, but it's the wrong question. Instead of asking why, I think what believers need to do is we need to get ourselves in the habit, when, in the habit of when trouble comes, instead of asking why, we just look to God and we say, okay, God, now what? Now what? I, I trust your word. I trust everything that's written in this book. And I believe that even though things look bad right here, you ultimately have a plan. That you're seeing things from a vantage point that I can't see them from. And rather than getting caught up and trying to figure out why, God, how about you just instruct me in now what? How about you just lead me? Because if you can work through this, I want to be a part of it. God, I know you have a plan. What is it? I was recently listening to a pastor talk about a missionary that they support in the country of Iran. And this missionary had been there since before the current regime took over. If you know anything about Iran right now, it's not a place that's friendly towards the gospel. It's not a place that's friendly towards Christians. In fact, we have a pastor right now who's being held captive there. It's been on the news if you, if you keep up with current events. He's a Christian pastor, and the government is holding him basically hostage. And I was listening to this pastor talk about a missionary that they support there. And the missionary was, was explaining that before the current regime, the old regime that was in place, there was actually more freedom in Iran. There was actually a, 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 an air, a hint of freedom, a little bit of democracy. It wasn't as much of a dictatorship, and it was more friendly to the gospel. It was more friendly to the Christian cause. And you know what he said? He said when that regime was in power, nobody was getting saved. Nobody. He said now that we're persecuted, now that it's against the law to preach the gospel of Christ, people are getting saved left and right. The gospel of Christ is alive and well in the country of, of Iran. We can't contain it. We can't stop it. People are hungry for truth. They're hungry to know a Savior. And this is what he actually said. He said, I, I, if you get a chance to talk to your congressmen and your senators and your president, tell them don't liberate us because God's using the trouble for his glory. You want to talk about having the right perspective, man. <laughs> don't liberate us. God's using it. Wow, that's just crazy to me. But talk about having the right perspective. He's actually praying that God would continue to use the calamity to reach people. Anybody ever just felt like your life kind of just feels like it, it, it's, it's, you think it's getting, it's finally at the point where it's getting great, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's back, it's back down again. And then you hit rock bottom, and it's, you start to climb back up, and you think, okay, finally, this is it, and then... Boom, it happens again. And I, can I just, I told you last week, I went through a season like that in my life. I, we moved from this area to Florida to be youth pastors at a church there. And I made a, a commitment to that pastor to stay and, and work on his staff a minimum of five years. I wasn't going to break my commitment. I got there, and nothing wrong with that church, nothing wrong with that pastor. Um, we just, sometimes you just don't click. You know what I'm saying? Like, like things just don't work the way you thought they were going to work. And he wasn't happy having me work for him, and I wasn't happy working for him. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there? Am I the only one? It just, things didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And I, I remember feeling frustrated, but there was no way I was going to break my five-year commitment. I made a promise to stay for five years, and I was really just kind of struggling and hurting and frustrated, depressed, didn't want to get out of bed, didn't want to go to the office in the morning, consistently ran late because I just wanted to be anywhere but there. Wasn't a healthy season of my life. And thank God, I mean, it didn't feel like a blessing at the time. He was feeling the same way, called me in after about a year and a half of being there and released us from the position, released us from the role. So there was a little bit of relief there, but then guess what? Guess what happens when the only thing you've known is full-time ministry since you got out of high school and now suddenly you're unemployed? You hit the panic button, man, because you don't know if there's anything out there for you. And it started a season of several years in our, our lives where just financially and spiritually, I just felt, and every time it seemed like things were finally going to get good, they'd take another dive. And then things would get good. I remember I, I, I got a good job, was doing well, got recruited by another company, big pay raise, was going to be awesome, went, took that job, Four months later, they went bankrupt over New Year's weekend, called me in and said, hey, we just went from 45 employees to six, and you're not one of the six, and we, we can pay you one more check. What are you doing? 
God, why did you bring me to Florida? Was it to experience all of this? And it was in that process we discovered a life-giving church. It was at that church where my wife in the parking lot one day said, can you imagine if there was something like this back up north where we used to live? And that's where the dream for True Life started, was in that season of going up and down, up. And can I just, I just want to encourage you, man, that when you're in that season of up and down, sometimes God is testing our faithfulness. He's looking to see where we're going to go for the answers. And I think of a guy by the name of Joseph in the Bible. He, he was his daddy's favorite, got a nice coat. His brothers hated him, stole his coat, threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave. He gets out of the slave deal, becomes a servant for a guy named Potiphar. Things are looking good. Potiphar's wife decides Joseph looks good, and Joseph says, "Uh uh-uh, not having it. She gets mad, accuses him of rape. He gets thrown into prison. He's in prison with with a butler and a cook, interprets some dreams, ends up becoming the number two in charge in the land of Egypt. And what happens his brother, he ends up saving millions of people from famine and hunger, including his brothers who threw him in a pit. And look what he says to him in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me. Some of you need to hear this today because the enemy is intended to harm you. And you look around your life and it feels like everywhere you look, somebody's trying to harm you. Some situation is trying to bring harm on your life. And he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. And as I look back over the last 10 years of our lives in a season in living in Florida, where just every time we thought it was getting good, boom, it'd go back down. And every time we thought it was getting good, oh, it'd go back down. And And now looking back, I can see that what the enemy intended to harm us, to try to shake us, to try to stir us, thank God, man, we stayed faithful to the calling of God. We stayed faithful to our relationship with Jesus. We stayed faithful to the local church and served our tails off and were as generous as we possibly could be, gave away as much as we could, and God planted a dream in our hearts. Why? Because now we're a part of something where lives are being saved, eternity's becoming a part of people's hearts, and so whatever it is, man, that you're going through, you may think that it's going to harm you, but God has a plan to turn it into good, and he's going to take some people on the journey with you. Come on, somebody. Aren't you thankful for that? we got to have the right perspective. Here's the second one Paul talks about. He says, we need to be a part of the solution. And this is, a, this is I think, a big one for believers in, in today's world and today's culture because we've become experts at cursing the darkness, and we're not very good at shining the light on it. And we, I mean, we're just, we're really good at saying what political arguments we agree with and what persuasions we are and who's wrong about, I mean, we are experts in telling everybody what's wrong and and we're just not good enough at shining the light instead. Can I just tell you, that's, you know what that is, that that email from a girl this morning? She didn't need somebody to to tell her what was wrong in her life. She just needed the love of Christ, the light of Christ to be shined on, on her life this morning. That's all it took for a life-changing moment. And so instead of identifying all the problems, church, how about we just work on being a part of the solution? How about we just work on trying to fix some things? Let's, let's say the economy collapses tomorrow. I don't think it will, but let's say it did. People are hurting, people are broke. I'm just crazy enough to believe that maybe God has a plan, maybe God has a plan for his people and a vision for his people that while the rest of the world and the rest of the country is wallowing in self-pity and hurting and looking for answers, that the people of God are being blessed and the cream is rising to the top and now we're able to look at those who are hurting and say, come here, let me show you how to get this thing turned around. Let me show you how you can have peace while you can't pay the bills. Man, I hope you're getting this this morning. It doesn't sound like you're yelling as good as I'm preaching. What do we do? How do we be part of the solution? And I know there's a movement, and I, I'm not trying to be adversarial with anybody today. I know there's some who say, I'm going to buy a bunch of guns and some seeds and go buy a farm and build a bunker and hide out with my family because if everything falls apart, that's where I'm going to be. And Okay. But the problem is, if you go hide, you're not around to fix anything. And I think God's people are called to be a part of the solution. Look at Philippians 1, 13 and 14. Paul says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else 
that I'm in chains for Christ. I mean, just think about this. The guard is chained to Paul. If I'm Paul, I'm getting creative here. Hey, man, you want to help? You want to proofread my letter to the Philippians? Can you imagine reading that? You're, you're, okay, this guy's going to die. I'm rejoicing. You know you're going to die, right? What are you rejoicing? You know if Paul was chained to somebody, he was preaching to them. He was witnessing every chance. He, you know, some of the relationships in our lives, and we can't figure out what those people are there for. They're a thorn in our side. Is it possible you've been chained to someone that you're supposed to share the love of Christ with? And Paul says, it's become obvious to the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Without fear. So Paul's saying, yeah, I'm in here. I know it looks kind of bad. It doesn't seem like things are going well, but guess what? Because I'm in here, there's some people on the outside who are saying, hey, we got to step up. It's time for us to step up. In, in football, they have a saying called next man up. If a guy gets injured, it's the next man up to fill in the spot, and you got to play at just as high a level as the guy that went down. And in the, in the body of Christ, man, we need to have a next man up kind of attitude. I'm going to step up, and I'm going to spread the gospel every way I possibly can. I'm going to share the love of Jesus. I'm going to pass out acts of kindness cards every chance I get. When bad things happen, we need to be a part of the solution. What if the people of God were to flourish in times of trouble? It's possible. I think it's possible. Because you know what? When all hell breaks loose in our world, you know where people run? They tend to run to God. You want proof? Do you remember what church was like? Do you remember what church services were like the four or five weeks after 9-11? They were full. They were packed full. And I just think, church, it's important that we posture ourselves, that we position ourselves, that when calamity comes, we're ready. We're ready. Because it's an opportunity to lead people to Jesus. When people hurt, they run to God. So we should be ready. I think we've discerned even, uh, is this the end times? Do we live in the last days? I don't know. I do know this. Some generation has to be it, and it could be us. I don't know. could be us. Somebody will be it. What if the people of God are meant to flourish when things get crazy? Look at, if, you do your, uh, if you follow the one-year Bible, and I suggest you do, great reading plan. Today's reading is Micah chapter 4. Listen to this. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all the most important place on earth. It'll be raised above other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. What if we're supposed to flourish in times of trouble? What if we're supposed to position ourselves so that when everything else is falling apart, we're ready to just say, come on. Come on, come meet Jesus. Come find some peace. We need to posture that way. Mother Teresa said, if we have no peace... It's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. And that's true. It's true. All right, we need to be a part of the solution. Here's the next one. We need to focus on what really matters. What really matters. Philippians 1, 15 to 18. Paul says, it's true. Paul's got these people, they're writing him letters, and they're saying, Paul, you're in prison, and other people are going out, and they're trying to preach in your place. And some of them are doing it for the right reasons, but others are doing it because they think it's their chance to become the new rock star to be the new megachurch pastor. And look at Paul says. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now listen to this next line. But what does it matter? In other words, so what? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I rejoice. I think we've become too good in church culture, in Christian culture, at finding all the things that we want to disagree about. And 
point fingers at it. What if we just were to take on the attitude of what does it matter? Let's just preach Christ. Let's just point people to Jesus. You know, church, I think we worry about too many things in our lives. Jesus even said, worry won't add a day to your life. What's the point? What are we doing? Get rid of the worry. It's not worth it. Who cares? There's some things, it happens all the time in, in my role. People, it's because people grow up in specific types of church cultures, and so there's nothing wrong with that. And they'll ask questions, and to them it's a really important thing. And, and I always try to answer as graciously as I can. But at the end of the day, in our church, there's some of that stuff that honestly we're just like, who cares? Do you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Or do you baptize in the name of Jesus Christ and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Or do you baptize in the name of... Who cares? We preach Jesus. <laughs> Let's just tell as many people about Jesus as we possibly can. You guys remember, uh, there's this, I love this movie. Back in the early 2000s, Disney did it with Bruce Willis called The Kid. Anybody seen the Disney's The Kid? They're, one of my absolute favorite scenes in any movie is in that movie, and he's, a, he's like a, uh, a PR consultant, helps people with their reputation. And this lady, she's a public figure, an elected official in the movie. She's been caught doing something wrong, and so he's brought in to help her fix the whole thing. And he's kind of a jerk, and he sits down with her, and uh, she says, somebody's dared to mention jail time, and she's crying the tears, and all of a sudden Bruce Willis just goes, wah, wah. Somebody called the ambulance. It's one of my favorite scenes ever. And I, we, we use that in our house. We joke that anytime somebody's just kind of being whiny around me, I just think, somebody called the ambulance. Call the ambulance. We've got, hey, can I tell you? We've gotten too good at being whiny sometimes when, when we just have an opportunity. So, hey, some of the things we're worrying about and bickering about and fighting about and we're allowing them to become issues in our life and we're gossiping about things. Can, can, hey, just call the ambulance, man. Get over it. Let's get back on focus. Let's worry about the things that really matter because we worry about too much. Some of us at the holidays, you're all worried because you're already going to have to be around that relative. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know who that relative is in your family, it's probably you. <laughs> I'm just trying to help you, man. I'm just trying to, trying to give you some tips. We need to get the attitude of Paul. Stop fussing. Stop, stop it. Here's the test. Here's the test. Before we fuss about something, before we get all our feathers all ruffled, here's the test. Just ask yourself this question, will it matter in 100 years? Will it matter in 100 years? You know why? Because James said, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In church, we got to get better at asking this question, what does it matter in the light of eternity? How do we respond to calamity? How do we respond to trouble? Man, we've got to get the right perspective. It's important that we do. We've got to be a part of the solution, and we've got to focus on what really matters. Now, some of you are sitting here today, you're going, okay, that's great, that's a great life plan, but I need to find some peace right now. What do I do today? There's, there's too much turmoil in my life. I'm not worried about if the wheels fall off with the rest of the world. What about me today where I'm at? Check it out. Paul gave us an action plan for that too. What, what do I do? Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Paul says this, do not, look at the person next to you say, do not. All right, because it, it really, he really means it, okay? Do not, do not what? Be anxious about anything. Anything. You know what anything means? It means anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard what? Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace 
Now notice he said the peace of God earlier. Now he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Can I just say it to you this way? The peace of God is great. The God of peace is even better. So as we end this series, what I want to do is I want to give you three questions to examine yourself with. Questions surround some of the issues that will rob us of our peace. And here's the first one. These all come from that scripture we just read. Have I presented my requests to God? Have I presented my requests to God? Not have I presented my requests to Facebook. Have I presented my requests to God? Are you, let me ask, let me just, I mean, just let's make this personal for you here for a moment because I think the Holy Spirit wants to really work on us this morning in this area. Are you really doing it? Are you really taking the stuff that this life brings on you and going to God with it? Are you praying about it? Because I'm concerned this morning that many of us are missing out on real peace simply because our prayer life stinks. It just stinks. And if you want peace right now, you've got to do whatever it takes to develop the habit of instead of running to all the other things that you run to with your requests, you run to the only one that has the answers to, for all of them. Have I presented my requests to God? Instead of being anxious, take it to Him. When I'm struggling with something, I'm talking about me personally. When I'm struggling with something that's gotten under my skin, and, and it happens to me often, my, my, my personality style, my makeup, I, I don't handle conflict well. It's, it just it makes me feel really anxious and stressed out. That's why if I feel like there's a strain in a relationship with someone in my life, I try to go there as quickly as I can and try to, try to bring some resolution because I, I just I'll lose sleep over it. It just it drives me crazy. But you know what I found I can do? is I can go get in God's presence with it. And he helps me. He walks me through it. When a relationship's gone, gone sour, man, I just have to get with God. I have to take my request to him. It's unbelievable to me how the peace of God always comes back to me when I've, when I've taken time to get in his presence. I mean, and usually, like, I had, I had a situation not long ago where I was just, I just I was just feeling so worried and anxious about a situation. So I just had to go to my basement, close the door, turn on worship music. And, you know, it was probably 10 minutes tops before I started being able to just go, you got this, God. You saw all this coming before I did. You can handle it. This is why we're going to start the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I, I made a joke about Facebook a second ago, but I'm actually going to do something different this year during our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to go ahead and tell you about it right now and start getting you ready for it. I'm going to call the entire church to step away for 21 days. I'm going to ask you to set aside social media. Because I think in our culture, narcissism is on the rise like crazy. You want to know why? Because we all have these little tools that allow us to operate in this false reality of thinking the whole world cares every time you go to the bathroom. And nobody cares. I heard somebody say, when you're wondering what everybody's thinking about you, just remember they aren't. They aren't. And I, I, in fact, we're going to show you in January how to set up your version app to tweet or Facebook scripture verses and you never actually have to log into Facebook or Twitter and see what's going on there. And I just think it would be awesome if as a church body we came together for 21 days and said, we're not gonna glorify anything except the king. We're not gonna put anything out there except the truth of God's word. I, I don't care what's happened. I don't need everybody to look at me. I don't need everybody to see my pictures and my selfies this week and, and all that. Let's just glorify Jesus for 21 days. Let's get our hearts set on him as we start a new year. Come on, somebody. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> you could do it, man. You could do it. We're going to get in the habit of taking our requests to so many of, I talked to so many people that instead of taking our requests to God and, and going to him when issues rise in our life, we just can't, literally, it's like a drug, man. Something's bothering us. We can't wait to, oh, yeah. <laughs> 
We don't even do that anymore. We just find a picture with something somebody else said, and we put that on our wall. We don't even come up with anything on our own anymore. Guys, we need to, I'm going to use a word that men hate, but we need to be meek. Taking our request to God means that we found meekness, M-E-E-K, to be meek. You know what the word meek means? It just means to come to the realization that I need help. I can't do life by myself. I can't do life without God's help. And you know what Jesus said about the meek in Matthew 5, 5? He says, blessed are the meek because they'll inherit the earth. Psalm 37, 11 says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Let's be people. You want peace right now? Get in the habit of going to God with it. And say, hey, Hey God, even when you made the mess yourself, can I tell you, God is not looking to punish you. He's looking for you to return and say, oops, what now? God, what now? That's what meekness is all about. All right, here's the second question to ask yourself. What consumes my mind? A lot of us spend too much time thinking about the wrong things. Now, I used social media this week to ask a question, and I got to be honest, I was absolutely overwhelmed by the response. In fact, I didn't even have room in my notes to put all the responses that people sent me. And I just want to share, and I'm going to keep them um, confidential, but I just want to share some of the things that, that, that people sent to me. It was things like I, almost every single one of them used the word fear. I fear that I'll turn out like my mother. Uh, I fear that I'm never going to catch a break, that this cycle I'm in of things going bad in my life is never going to turn around. Um, I fear that I'm not going to be able to get a good job and, and reach the goals that I've, I've laid out for myself. Uh, I, my inbox just, I, I wouldn't expect this, my inbox on Facebook just blew up. Not even... Apparently, this was something people just needed to get off their chest. I had people like I went to high school with that don't even go to our church blowing up my inbox on Facebook with like the stuff that, because I just asked one question. I said, what are some of the things that seem to always rob you of your peace? And you know what I found interesting is not one single person sent me a message that said, well, it's this sin, it's the lust, it's the pornography, or it's this addiction. Every single response was about the way people are thinking. And it was about the things that are consuming our minds. Let me just, let me just share some of this. Anxiety about my safety. Uh, worries about my job. Anxiety about my family. Um, having a, a, a mindset. I, I just feel like people are always out to get me. I, I'm facing, I had several people that said I'm, I'm facing real issues in my health right now, like, like seriously bad stuff could be going on, it's like tumors and, and, and stuff could be going on inside my body, and it's robbing me of my peace because I'm thinking maybe it's not going to turn out well for me. And, and can I just tell you, we serve the God who's able to heal. I don't know, I, don't, I can't explain to you why sometimes he doesn't, but I just want you to know, any of you who sent me those messages, I took time as I received them the other day and specifically prayed for you, and I believe God is able He's the God that's able to do anything. He built your body. He knows how to put it back the way it's supposed to be with perfection. So let's trust him for a miracle. And if it doesn't come the way we think it will, then let's look for the way that we're going to glorify Christ the King while we work through the calamity together. Come on, somebody. Somebody said, my own thoughts, thinking about the thoughts of others. And I've got my eyes on people. I've got my eyes off of what Christ thinks of me and how he sees me and I'm looking at how everybody else is looking at me and it's, it's robbing me of my peace. I'm thinking about money and resources and it's robbing me of my peace. I've got relationships that aren't going well and it's robbing me of my peace. I'm surrounded by people who are negative and it's making me negative. You know what all of these things are? They're the things that consume our mind. And Isaiah 26.3 says this, you keep him in perfect, what? Peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts you. 
You know, I love what Paul said. He says, whatever's good, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's praiseworthy, think on those things. I love that Paul didn't say, can we go back to that scripture real quick, Todd? The, the Philippians, for this section, I don't I, know, I just threw you a curve. There it is. Uh, it, it, what does he say? Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely. Aren't you glad Paul didn't say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's false, whatever's not noble and really bad, whatever's wrong, whatever's unpure, whatever's ugly, whatever isn't admirable, if anything isn't excellent or praiseworthy, think about how bad it is. So this is what I'm talking about. We curse the darkness instead of shining a light on it. Even in our own minds, we allow that to happen. But Paul's saying, we don't need to think about how bad everything is. Let's set our mind on the things that Christ is already doing. Let's set our hearts on eternity. Come on, somebody. What's consuming our minds? I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to skip Lamentations, Todd, for the sake of time. Here's the last one, number three. And I hope you see a pattern now. Am I practicing God's word? Am I practicing God's word? Do you see the pattern now? Am I taking my request to him? Do I have a prayer life? What consumes my mind? Do I have a worship life where I set my mind on Christ? Am I practicing God's word? You want to know how you start practicing God's word? You got to read it. You got to know what's in the book if you're going to practice the book. Prayer, worship, God's word. These are the foundational pieces of living for Christ. And I fear that many of us don't operate in the core building blocks of Christianity and it's robbing us of peace. It's robbing us. Spending life in turmoil when really we could just work on these three areas and we would start to find some peace in our lives. Psalm 119, 165. Those who love your instructions have great what? Peace. And do not stumble. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes and it will come, in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house. Anybody living there right now? You don't have to raise your hand, but that's what it feels like. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. How can you stand up there and speak so confidently about that, Michael? Paul said, when I boast, I don't boast in the things I've done. I boast in what God's done. Can I just tell you, I've lived it. I've lived through the economy, taking a nosedive and having no income and having to apply for unemployment. I've been there. I've been in I've been just feeling the shame and embarrassment. Feeling like I couldn't take care of my family the way I was supposed to. I, I have been there. And you know what? Somehow, through all, through the hardest seasons of our life, our marriage ended up stronger. Our family ended up healthier. My relationship with Jesus grew. I had peace in the midst of everything going crazy and haywire in my life. And so I'm not, listen, I'm not just preaching something to you because it sounds good this morning. I've lived it. I am, this is my testimony this morning. You can have peace when everything's going crazy. Peace no matter what. Come on, you want that this morning? Come on, raise your hand. I want peace no matter what. Peace no matter what. Peace, it's it's everybody. Everybody wants that. You can put them down. Would you just close your eyes all across the room right now? Some of us, in this room for any of this to work you need to establish one thing and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ you need to invite him into your heart make him Lord and Savior of your life I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now happens every single Sunday heaven gets bigger in our church we love it it's one of our favorite things here it's one of the things we're going to celebrate the most tonight with our life team because everybody's a part of it everybody's invested the reason why people showed up here this morning at 7 a.m in the cold and broke ice off of equipment that froze in the trailer is because there's a chance somebody who doesn't know Jesus might find him when, it, when it's all said and done today. That's why we did it. That's why we did it. And if that's you, you say, hey, Michael, I need that today. I'm ready. I want to invite Christ into my heart and into my life. 
I'm going to ask you just to just wave at me real quick. Let me know that you're here. Just hold your hand up real quick. Just real quick. Hey, I want to invite Christ into my heart, into my life. Anyone at all, quickly. Quickly. I see it. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome. Hey, church, would you help me lead those who are going to join the family of God today in this simple prayer? If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to do one very important thing when we're done. And that's pick up the connection card in the cup holder next to you and just check the box that says, hey, I've received Christ. Give us your information so we can send you an email and get you ready for some next steps. All right? Let's just pray this together this morning. Dear Jesus, I need you. I want.